stop all that chatting and fellowshipping. You can do that at the end of the meeting. All right. I want to introduce um, Andy and Heather Martin to you. Let me say a little bit about them. Andy particularly, um, Melanie and I met him before we were married. So we're going back like 16 years of that. <laughs> we won't guess ages or anything, but we met him. He was leading a church in Stanford near Peterborough, and we kind of we were taking a year out, and we came across his path. And then we moved to Bishop Stortford, and he moved to Bedford with his family, and he ended up leading the church there, and he got involved in traveling um, all over the world, um, helping start churches and be involved in that, particularly in the Islamic world. And then we moved here to Birmingham, and then Andy and his family moved here to Birmingham too. And so when we found that out, I... Um, spoke to Andy last year and said, can you come and help us as a church, just help us kind of move forward, speak to us, talk to us about the nations, help us connect us with world mission, and Andy was so pleased. He said, yes, I'll do that, and Andy and Heather have come and met us, met some of our leaders, and we're starting building a relationship, and I asked Andy to come and just speak to us this morning, share his heart for the nations, what's going on. So, Andy, can you come up, and can we welcome Andy, please, to speak to us? Thank you. And I... I think I've turned this on. It's on down there. Yeah, good. Morning, everyone. Really, really good to be here. As you could tell from that brief, and I think perfectly timed, because uh, we've got a lot of history and uh, yeah, one or two stories we could probably tell. I'm glad Stuart <laughs> didn't. Um, <coughs> that uh, having known Stuart and Mel for a long, long time, it's absolutely thrilling for Heather and I to be here on a Sunday and see that some of the fruit of their obedience to God uh, and their faith in following God to uh, another place to plant a church. You've joined in with that faith story. Um, and just coming, I mean, it's always an honor to preach and bring God's word into different situations. But to be honest, just to come and be with you uh, and see the fruit of God doing something new. I know for some of you, you think, well, it's been a long journey. We've been here for ages. Why are you saying something new? Because it's just worth highlighting, look what God's done. This wasn't here but very long ago. Some of you didn't even know Jesus that, that long ago. And now we're here, and this is what God is doing. And I think that's worth just celebrating that right at the beginning. Um, Stuart mentioned in the intro uh, that I've involved in numbers of things, particularly in the Muslim-majority world. If this is recording, can we just pause it for a moment? It just gives me more freedom to tell stories. We're going to look in Mark's Gospel at a famous story. And uh, it will come up on the screen. I've got a timer going here, and for some reason I will ignore it, but at the moment what you don't want to know is it's set for an hour and a half, (laughs) and I have no idea why. Right, that started, it started late, so I'll try and, I really do need to get this right, and my wife is nodding, I don't have to look, I know she's nodding, you think, yes, yes, real life church, you want him to get this right. Sensing the presence of God with us already, and whilst we don't have to stick to a clock, uh, we do want to make sure we've got time to come back and worship uh, Jesus together. For those of you that have uh, known Jesus for quite a while, know your Bibles, uh, this story is called The Feeding of the 5,000. It's well known. Some of you will know it. For those of you who don't, we're going to read the story. Um, I'll probably comment as we go, and then we'll draw some lessons out at the end. Um, just some headlines, though. This is the only miracle of Jesus uh, to appear in all four Gospels. Uh, other ones are repeated in different Gospels, this is the only thing that Jesus did other than his crucifixion and resurrection that appears in all four Gospels. It's an important story. It's a defining 
moment. So it's helpful to know that. Think, why is this one so very, very important? I mean, obviously, doing a miracle <coughs> with someone's packed lunch on this scale, as we'll see, is important. But he raised someone called Lazarus from the dead. He opened blind eyes. Why is giving people lunch such an important story? Important question. So we'll see if we can answer that. Um, what's happened, Mark particularly wants us to know, um, in the verses just ahead of this, that this happened at the time that <clears throat> John the Baptist was killed by Herod. So Herod was the political ruler on behalf of uh, the Roman government. Um, Pilate was there too, and he would hold order. But, but Herod, if you like, was a local ruler, but he was a puppet of Rome. He'd thrown a party with all his generals, and you can imagine music, dancing, drink, all of that. So he was kind of showing off his power. And John the Baptist, who'd been someone who's pointing that Jesus would be coming, he'd preached, he'd baptized people, so he was a powerful person, almost like an Old Testament prophet sent by God to say the Messiah's about to come. He had, uh, he had pointed out Herod's sin and unrighteousness, I won't go into all the detail, um, but his unfaithfulness, basically. And uh, Herod's wife had got very upset about this. And so when her daughter was dancing and all the generals liked it, Herod said, I'll give you whatever you want. She said, I want, I want John the Baptist's head. John the Baptist has just been killed. He's the one pointing to Jesus. Herod is kind of flexing his muscles. There is a shadow of oppression and death over this story. That's what I want you to hear. We've just been talking about a big shadow in our world. We've just been talking about people who live in the shadow of death. And we've just seen on our news stories how that gets closer. And there was a story, I think, that I hear on the news yesterday. They've researched and talked about how uh, immediately after what happened in Paris, that cities and people going into city centres dropped, particularly for this time of year when people are shopping. And if we're honest, if we think about it, we too can be fearful. For those of you who are parents, be thinking, what am I bringing my child into? How close will this come to home? Sometimes people say to me, going to these countries, because I go to some places where uh, are in the news even more, and people say, isn't that dangerous? Where in the world isn't? Yeah, there are places which are more dangerous. So we too live in a shadow. Also, actually, although there can be there's, you know, horrific stories of violence and fighting, actually the reality is for people now like us who say, no, we do believe there's a way. We do believe Jesus wasn't simply a good character from a storybook. He's alive. He can change your life. There's people who don't want to hear that. They'd like churches silenced. And it's fine if you believe it personally, but please don't take it into our schools. And please don't broadcast it on our cinema screens with the Lord's Prayer. And people that would want this silenced. So there's another shadow too for us. This story happens at a time when lots of people would like Jesus and his message silenced. That's why I thought it would be helpful for us to look at it. And Mark is saying, this miracle, this happened at that time. Also, the disciples have just returned, hence this bit, they returned to Jesus from the ministry tour. Jesus had sent them out. Um, the, the translation I'm reading is slightly different from that one, but don't worry. Um, Jesus had sent them out, they'd come back. Uh, he'd said to them, go into all the towns and villages, preach, talk about me, talk about the kingdom, heal the sick. And they'd seen amazing things happen. Um, so they've come back from seeing that, seeing God's kingdom come, to hear that John the Baptist has been killed and someone would like to stop God's kingdom coming. That's the tension of the story. Okay. 
The apostles gathered around Jesus, reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. That's the compassion of Jesus. Knows the disciples, they need food. He wants time with them. They've gone out on one of their first kind of trips. It's all well and good watching Jesus do these things, but now they've done it. Jesus says, come on, we'll go and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. That is a remarkable scene. They're in a boat, they're heading across the Sea of Galilee, and words got around. The disciples are here, they've seen miracles, Jesus is here, Jesus is teaching. Come on, we want to hear Jesus. Where are they going? Well, the other side. There's not very many places you can go. Come on, let's run. All the towns and villages. This is a big crowd. This is a lot of people. So much for getting time with Jesus on your own. So much for being able to step back. So much for being able to get some peace and quiet. Some of you here, that's, you, that's what you'd like. Some of you here have probably come this morning thinking, I just need some time with Jesus. I just need to know that Jesus gets what I'm doing, what I'm in the middle of right now. is pretty hard and pretty tough. Jesus does get that. And there are times when Jesus will take you away on your own and give you rest, not necessarily literally, but will come to you in that way. So I'm going to do that with the disciples. But the crowds have got another idea. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's important. We'll come back to that at the end. So he began teaching them many things. Now I think, I'm just going to keep doing this pause and make comments as we go, just to help us live a bit. I think if we were with the disciples, we wouldn't have been very happy at that point. So you want time with Jesus, you want to tell him everything you've seen, you're hungry, you've just come back from a ministry trip and serving him and stepping out of your comfort zone, and Jesus isn't with you because he sent you to go and do this into some places. You'd have been rejected and told off by a few people. Jesus said that would happen. And now you're back with him. Lord, everything you've done, we've done. We've seen this happen. We saw all kinds of things go on because we read that in another gospel. And Jesus says, come on, let's get some time. There's loads of people coming. Come on, let's go. Yes, fantastic, in the boat. And they see people running, running, running. And they get there and think, Jesus will just take us somewhere else. But Jesus doesn't. I think the disciples would have been a bit grumpy. Now, you may all be holier than me. I'd have been grumpy. I want time with Jesus. I don't want hundreds and thousands of people there. And Jesus says, oh, forget that. We're going to teach. I'm going to instruct them because Jesus had compassion. By this time, it was late in the day. So disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. That makes perfect sense. There's a lot of people. Later it tells us there's 5,000 men alone. So that's a reasonable request by the disciples. Agree? Yeah. Right, I want you to enter into this. This is why we're doing it. Totally reasonable. They may well be grumpy. It may well be them saying we've had enough. But they've let Jesus do this all day. The sun's beginning to set. Um, or not far off setting. So if they're going to get something to eat, they need to go. And you really want Jesus to understand this. It's straightforward. There's no way we can do anything about this. But he answered, you give them something to eat. 
Jesus, we came here because we were hungry, and if we had food, we'd have eaten it back before we got on the boat. And, and we'd have eaten it anyway while we were listening to you, Jesus. So you began the time knowing that we were hungry. You said we would go away quietly and get something to eat. We've now spent several hours listening to you, Jesus, with all these lovely people here. And they're hungry, and we're very hungry, and you want us to give them something to eat. Now, if you weren't thinking that yourself, then you're clearly far more spiritual than the rest of us. Now, those of us who know the story, we jump ahead and think, oh, it's great because it all works out. No, we just need to pause and understand what Jesus is saying here. It's remarkable, outrageous. What do you mean give them something to eat? And especially those of you who are not from the UK and from, uh, perhaps from the East, you'd understand how important food is in another culture. That if you're going to give them something to eat, you're giving them a meal. You're not about to open a packet of mints and pass them round and hope this will be okay. You're not going to see if you've got any bag of Doritos and just think, oh, we'll pass these around 5,000 people. Now you're talking about a proper meal. You're talking about hospitality. You're not talking about a snack. No, you feed them. You give them food to eat. This is what Jesus wants them to do. But they answered, quite reasonably, <clears throat> that would take more than half a year's wages. That's a lot of money. It's like Stu and Mel having this crazy idea for Christmas, never mind messy church, saying, let's go into Sutton Coldfield and we'll feed half the people and you can all pay for it. We'll all take them into, I don't know, Pizza Hut or something and buy pizzas for everyone and do the buffet like, hang on a minute, if everybody comes. That's what's going on with the disciples. You feed them. There's over 5,000 men. There's women and children. All of the villages and towns have come out. What is Jesus asking them? How is this going to work? This is thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds in UK money today. They're not going to take a credit card. No, I've maxed that one, can't use that one. What, what are they supposed to do? <clears throat> you give us some tweet. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and find out. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Note green grass. Why is he saying green? I'm not aware we have red grass, blue grass, yellow grass, or anything else. It's green. We'll come back to that later. So the, one of the tensions building up in this story we need to understand when it comes to Eastern hospitality, if you start going around, like Jesus had told the disciples, and say, excuse me, if you, I haven't got any bread. Have you got any bread? You've, not got, you've come out with nothing. If you, you've not got any bread. Anyone in this, you've not got bread. Any... Anybody, Pete, I can't find anything. I've not found anything. We'll keep looking, Andrew. Okay, we'll keep looking for bread. Anyone? Excuse me. You got any? We're needing. Word goes round. They're asking for food. We're not going to be sent home. Somehow we're going to get fed. So it's building the anticipation. It's building the tension. Jesus is going to feed the disciples. Are right? Did you hear that? Anyone else got bread? They're not all sitting quietly, standing like we do in England, just wondering what's going to happen, keeping all our thoughts inside our head. Now they're talking to one another. Food, he talked about food. Where are we going to get food? It's really late. Where are we going to get food? Why are they asking for food? The tension is building. The disciples have come back from healing the sick. They know that Jesus can do things. They now know they can do things. But Jesus is asking them to do something which they've never, ever seen before. 
And it's one thing to stand by a blind man, look at his eyes and ask in the name of Jesus for them to be opened and see that happen. It's something else. There was a huge crowd to go around and start asking for food and build the anticipation that they're going to get fed. The tension is growing. The sense of weakness, the sense of being overwhelmed, the sense of what are we going to do if this doesn't work out? And anyway, why is Jesus gathering 5,000 people when Herod's just taking the head of John the Baptist? Surely this is time to go. We've been here too long already. The authorities already know what's going on. They're already coming against some of what Jesus is doing. The religious rulers don't like us doing this. Why are we prolonging in a public place over 5,000 people and we're about to feed them? Everything, the tension, the shadow of oppression, the religious rulers that we know from other parts of the story don't want Jesus doing this. There's a massive crowd. This isn't time for doing a great public stunt. And it's incredibly embarrassing, Jesus, because all we've got are five loaves and two fish. What are we really going to do with that? Then Jesus says, fantastic, get them to sit down. And we just read this thing, oh, of course. No, not of course. You've only got five loaves of bread. And they're not the big loaves we have, they're round, flat ones. They're yummy. There's nothing like bread from the Middle East, by the way. It's fantastic. If you think your nice bit of King's Mill, you know, out of Tesco's is nice, it's rubbish. Nice, warm, but sorry of anyone who works for any of those retailers. But nice bread from the Middle East, flat, freshly made that morning, just bread. Oh, it's gorgeous. But I've only got five. And now they're being asked to sit down. If you could sit down, can we have 50? Just two, three families, could you make 50? Right, are you, oh, you're all together, you're from one village. Will you make, if we can have 100 here, and we can have 50, if you could just sit down. This would have taken quite a while. Everyone begins to know they're going to eat. Everyone knows where this is going. Now you're Peter, or John, or Andrew, and you're asking 50 people to sit down, and you know there's only five loaves and two fish. Maybe, maybe if we're careful, we can do 50. But what will this 50 have? And what will this 100 have? Could you guys sit down, please, group of 100? Why, are we going to eat? Eat. Mm, interesting thought. Um, possibly. Just he wants you. The Lord wants you to sit down. Please, just sit down. Why is there food coming? We heard you've got some bread. How much bread have you got? Five loaves. No, sorry. How much? Five hundred. Fifty. Five. Five. Yeah, you've got five loaves, and you want us to sit down. Yeah, please sit down. That would have happened. I know it's not on the screen, but if you're in the east, you'd have. That's what's going on. It's not just. Oh, great. Sit down. We're going to have a miracle. No, they'd have been talking to them. Why do you want us to sit down? It's late. Should we be going? No, the master, Jesus, he wants you to sit down. So we're going to eat. Fantastic. What we got? Nice piece of lamb. Nice shawarma. No, we got some bread and fish. Oh, lovely. Fancy a bit of fish. Especially if it's just been caught in the lake that morning. Nice and fresh. What are we, um, how much you got? Two bits of fish. Well, if I make it worth your while, you come to our group first, Yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll sit at the front. You come to our group first. All of this. Is going, are you okay with this? Do you get, I'm not making this up. You, a few of you are kind of looking at me a bit. Some of you are nodding. You think, it doesn't say that in the verse. No, but that's what would have happened. All the crowds talking. The disciples, what's going on? How can we do this? What is he going to do? So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven, 
he gave thanks. Jesus isn't doubting. Jesus isn't worried about the numbers. Jesus isn't worried whether there'll be enough or not. He's thanking God. He's thanking God there's bread. He's thanking God there's fish. The disciples think it can't be done. The disciples think this is going to take over half a year's wages. The disciples think everyone needs to go to their villages, towns, and find some stuff to eat. Jesus is thanking God that there's five and two. Jesus is thanking God that there's enough. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided two fish among them all. Now, to be sorry, we just need to pause here as well. What did that look like? Well, I mean, these fish weren't whales, okay? They're just, I've seen fish in Galilee. They're not massive, even on a good day, maybe. And the bread is only this. Jesus distributed it to them all. You've got to ask how. You've got to ask what did that look like. And a miracle healing a blind man is startling, incredible, but you can see what that looks like. You can't see, then he can see. What did this look like? At what point did it multiply? Now the word apparently, in in the original kind of language, talks about... Uh, it gives a sense of it kept on multiplying as it was given out. The kind of the, the way the sentence construction works is it was um, being distributed all the time. It kept growing all the time. So Jesus has only got one loaf that he's giving out at this point. So he gives some to Peter. Did it suddenly become huge in Peter's hands? Oh, wow, this is amazing. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to imply that. So Peter takes what he's given, which still isn't enough for 50 people. And Jesus starts to give it to these 50. There's some for you, some for you if you just give this out to everybody. And they're thinking, have they got enough? We don't know. And Peter looks and thinks, I've got enough for the 100. But I just, well, they're all eating now. How? Oh, I don't know, bless you. I don't, it's hay fever. Remember, we're sitting on green grass about to eat. He's <laughs> had a bit of hay fever. I've got, these guys have, they all seem to be eating. Well, there's some for your hundred. Just eat it, please. Peter rushes off quickly, because this is embarrassing, remember? Because it's not just 50, it's over 5,000. And Peter knows what's left, and, and there's some for your 50. Meanwhile, Andrew, James, John, Mark, they're all doing it. They're all out there. Peter comes back to get some more. There shouldn't be any more, but he comes back. Jesus is still breaking bread. Peter takes another handful. Peter goes to the next group, and the next group. He looks across, he sees Mark is doing the same. Looks across and sees Matthew is doing the same. Walks past the first 50 and sees they're really enjoying it, and they're chatting and they're eating. Looks across at the 100. They're now giving extra to the kids. Where did this come from? I imagine living with that. Picture yourselves there. Imagine the buzz going around the crowd. Imagine you're in one of the groups. Hey, I heard they've only got five. Well, we're at the back. There's no way we're going to... Oh, we've got some. And I don't know if they were given enough for 50 or if they were given enough for a handful, but they all had enough. I don't know at what point it multiplied. Do you see the point? 
I don't think at any point they knew they had enough. I think at every point they gave away, Jesus multiplied. That's the implication of the story. That's the implication of the original language. They never had enough, but as they gave it away, it multiplied. <clears throat> then there's the fish. There's only two of these. The same thing happened. Now, I think at this point, my brain is slightly scrambled as to how this is working, and I hope yours is too, because that's the point. It's one of the reasons this gets into all four books. But it's about to get, if it could get even more strange or weird or mind-blowing or whatever phrase you want to use, it is. Listen. They all ate and were satisfied. This is good news in the Middle East. This wasn't just a snack. They were satisfied. They had a meal. This wasn't just a bit of bread like we do in communion. A bit of bread for me, a bit for you. No, they were satisfied. They had eaten. For those of you from the East who have traveled there, you don't say you're satisfied unless you've had a good meal, unless you have really eaten. So they were satisfied. And the disciples, here we go, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken bread, pieces of bread and fish. How? Where from? We didn't start with that many. And the people that were satisfied was 5,000, and that's just the men. What does that look like? What is Peter doing? Mark, John, Jesus has gone clear up. What do you mean clear up? Oh, Lord Jesus, we thought we were the tired ones who have a busy time. Has the sun got to you? What's going on? And they must have thought that. I'm, I'm not being flippant. I'm not trying to be rude about men who we honour and obviously rude about Jesus. But what do you mean? How do you clear up? How do you find 12? Here, take a basket. Okay. I don't suppose you've got any you have. Okay, well, not so it's not wasted. If you could just put it in there, maybe. Ah, we seem to be filling the basket. And he takes back 12 baskets full. Where did it come from? What's going on? What's happened? That's the story. I just want to, we could just worship now, couldn't we? But the majesty of Jesus. A little bit later, we can take the, the, the passage down there. I think so much following that through. A little bit later in the story, there's an argument between the Pharisees and the religious rulers and Jesus. They're always arguing. And the disciples aren't quite understanding what's happening. And off the back of this, Jesus says to the disciples, didn't you understand the meaning of the miracle? Didn't you understand what happened when we fed that crowd, when we fed the 5,000? The disciples hadn't quite got it. What is it Jesus wanted them to get? What is it we're supposed to understand from this story? Why is this so significant? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it can make your head spin and think, how did this happen? What did he do? But what's really going on here? Firstly, this is everything about who Jesus is. That's why it's in the Gospels four times. That's why it's so remarkable. That's why it's so extraordinary what Jesus did. They're away from the towns, they're away from the villages. If you like, they're in the wilderness, away from the built-up areas, away from where they live. The 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel, the people Jesus had come to, their Messiah, he's the Messiah for the whole world, but he came to Israel first, <coughs> had 12 tribes. The last time 12 tribes were in the wilderness 
was after they'd left Egypt when God had delivered them on the way to the promised land. And they didn't have any food. And they didn't have anywhere to get anything. They were on the run. They were refugees fleeing slavery, fleeing oppression on their way to where God had prepared a place for them. And God fed them. Moses fed them in the wilderness with manna every day, a bread-like substance. Every day it was there. And Jesus is saying, and Jesus is demonstrating through this story, there's one greater than Moses here. There's one greater than Moses. We're in the wilderness. You haven't got anything to eat. I've got bread for you. Every person in that crowd would have got that because they knew their stories. They knew their history. They felt like they were out of their... Even though they were in their land, geographically, they, they weren't ruling it. Rome was ruling it. And there was oppression from Rome, yet alone with what Herod was doing. Everyone would have known afterwards. They'd have got there. The disciples were a bit slow, but they'd have got there. Hang on, this happened before, didn't it? Didn't our parents tell us? Didn't our grandparents tell us? Every year we celebrate feasts that remind us of what we did. Jesus wants the people to know the Messiah has come. One greater than Moses has come. He provides bread. He is from heaven. See, this story is telling us who Jesus is. That he is from God. He's the promised Messiah. A bit later... John's gospel tells us that Jesus said he is the bread of life. It's not simply that he can give you food when there isn't any, but he himself is the bread of life. He hadn't come with another book of the law like Moses gave them. He hadn't come with more rules and more regulations. This is Jesus saying, you have nothing. Herod is casting a shadow. Look, I'm the creator. Five loaves, I can make it feed 5,000 because I'll keep breaking, keep breaking. And at some point, creation's happening, multiplication's happening, because you end up with more than what you started with, because there's 12 baskets left. How can you do that? How can a prophet do that? How can anyone do that? Because Jesus isn't just the prophet. It says at the beginning of our book, the Bible, that all things are made through him. He was there in creation. He spoke. Everything was made. It's easy for Jesus to take bread and multiply it. He is the bread of life. He's not come with more rules and more regulations. He's not come with another law book. He's come with life itself. It's his life. Later in the story of the Gospels, he will take bread again in an upper room, what we call the Last Supper, and he will break it, and he will say, this is my body. This is my life given for you. And we know from the end of the story that when he's raised to life again and death is finished, he is ruling with eternal life because nothing, nothing, no grave, no oppressor, no power, no other religion or philosophy can keep life itself in the grave. It had to break out and now it rules and reigns. He is the bread of life. That's what this story is about. And only he satisfies Only he can feed and satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and the deepest desires of what goes inside of you. Materialism, money, fame, good relationships, everything that the world has to offer us, success, getting promoted at work, having a stable family, being affirmed by others around you. These are good things. God doesn't mind us enjoying them, but they're not what feeds your soul and feeds your heart. The bread of life does. And just like in this story where there wasn't enough, that's the reality of everything that the world offers. Ambition, 
finances, materialism, safety, being prosperous, good health, relationship. There's never enough. There's an ache inside of every single one of us. And that ache is only answered by Jesus himself. And for some of you this morning, that's why he brought you here. To remind you of that. That he and he alone is enough. That's why Jesus, that's why, no, you're not Jesus, are you? You're Stuart. <clears throat> Easy to mix up. That's why Stuart said in the break, after the worship, we're here for Jesus. We're all about Jesus. That's what real life church is. Because Jesus is the real life. That's why you're named this. There isn't any other life. It's he and he alone. Of anything else that goes on, in, you will never have enough. You'll never have enough. Jesus, he's everything. And he has enough. That's why this story's here. That's why we're looking at it this morning. If some of you are kind of new to trying to work out what Jesus is, what church is, what we believe, then understand this this morning if you don't understand anything else. It's not about a set of rules. It's not about changing your diary so you get to do this once a week or being religious or new friendships, although this is really important. It's not about trying harder. It's not about trying to be presentable to God. It's about knowing that Jesus, God himself, his life is everything for you. And the way that you know that is through a relationship with him and knowing him. It's not the rules. It's not the customs. It's not the traditions. It's not trying hard. It's not being presentable. It's not trying to live a better life or trying to fit in with a religious crowd or singing songs. It's about Jesus himself. And if you've got questions about that this morning, there's other people here can tell you what that means. Because you can think, well, looking at the way Christians talk and looking at what happens in the media, it doesn't often look like it's about a lot of rules. I know it does. We haven't presented ourselves very well. It's everything about this man called Jesus who says, I'm the bread of life. You thirst, you hunger, you don't have enough. It's me. My life given that you might live. That's why this story is here four times. That's what's going on. That's why Jesus does such a remarkable miracle. See, Herod had just thrown his party. And there was feasting and there was plenty of food. They didn't have to scrap around for a packed lunch. And there was plenty of drink. And in the end, God's prophet got killed. Here, with over 5,000 people in a public place, Jesus is throwing a different kind of feast. It's not about the posh food. It's not about the drink. It's not about an oppressive power. It's not about impressing a bunch of generals and kind of keep your army on side. It's about him and his life. See, it's also, this story isn't only about Jesus. It's also about what it means to live in his kingdom. It's also about what it means to live under his rule. Jesus doesn't have to show off and throw impressive parties and win political power. He's not interested in political power. He's not concerned about whether Herod thinks, whether or not the the crowds or the disciples think it's a good idea to have 5,000 people in an open place. Because Jesus is the all-powerful one. Jesus is the almighty one. He had compassion because the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. Herod wasn't their shepherd. He was meant to be their ruler. Rome was the enforced ruler. They weren't a shepherd. These people needed a shepherd. And living in God's kingdom, following Jesus, knowing him, being, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's not a political kingdom. It's not about physical power. It's not about human strategies. It's about the rule and reign of Jesus who has compassion on the crowds. And that's what this is to display. 
compassion for the crowds, compassion for their needs, for their brokenness. See, something else that is going on in this story is that Jesus wants the disciples to understand what he is calling them to do. This is just happening when they've returned from their mission trip, when they've returned from being sent out. And they think they're going to get time with Jesus. And they think they're going to get rest. And they think... So I'm just stopping my timer now. It's going to put me off. We're almost there. They think they're going to get rest and get some personal time with Jesus. But actually Jesus understands because of his compassion, because the crowds haven't got a shepherd, that actually this is another training opportunity for the disciples. Because after Jesus' death and resurrection, he will send them into all the world. And he will tell them to take this bread of life, not just to 5,000, but to tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. Jesus is training the disciples here to feed the crowds. Jesus is training the disciples here to understand that you don't need enough physically. You don't need the right strategy. You don't need the right method. You don't need the right resources. All you need is a trust and faith in Jesus and that he has enough. That's the other thing that's going on in this story. When Jesus, they come to him, Lord, send them away. It's late. They can go. Villages, towns, they can get some food. And Jesus says, you feed them. He knows they've got nothing. He knows they're hungry. He knows they didn't come prepared or planned to feed the crowds. He knows that none of them run a catering company. There's a tax collector, there's some fishermen, but there's no catering company here. They haven't been to the latest conference on how to feed a huge crowd and do a miracle. They've just got back from preaching the gospel. And Jesus sees here's another opportunity. And that, of course, is what Jesus is asking us to do. In a world that is broken, in a world where there's a huge, dark, oppressive shadow over all our communities, in a world which is chasing after the wrong things to satisfy their hunger, Jesus asks that we would be like him and have compassion on the crowds. And you may think, but I haven't got enough. You may think, I'm still trying to understand who Jesus is. I'm still trying to work these things out in my life. Or I'm still trying to make sure I've got enough bread from him. Jesus says, yeah, I know. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough. See, being a church which is fruitful, being a people who can genuinely make a difference in this part of the city and around the world, being a people that can really make a difference in your school, in your, in your classroom, in your office, in your road with other mums, isn't about having enough. Enough answers, enough love, enough right strategies. Simply about taking what you've got to Jesus and letting him multiply it. Jesus said, you feed them. Lord, it's over half a year's wages. How are we going to do that? Well, how much bread you got? You bring what you've got, and that's enough. See, it's easy for us to be overwhelmed. It's easy for us, even with, particularly with all the news and everything that's going on in, at the moment, to think, what difference can we make? Can this church do anything? Can I really make a difference in my workplace? Can I really make a difference in that broken situation? Can we really see the kingdom of God come in Birmingham and in our land again? Can we really see righteous governments? Can we really see an end to laws being passed in our education system and everything else that oppose how God has said life should be? It's easy for us to feel overwhelmed. It's easy for us to feel intimidated by the political powers or oppressive powers that would like us to shut up, sit down, and do church very, very quietly and privately. And that's what happens. 
So we sit down, we shut up, we have a lovely time, we enjoy the bread of life, but meanwhile Jesus is saying, no, take the bread and feed the crowds. And we know, I haven't got enough. Of course you haven't got enough. You're not meant to have enough. The greatest miracles happen often at the point of the greatest weakness. I felt God tell me to underline that during the worship. As you can tell, I don't use many notes. I've got a few, but... I felt God speak to me about this in the worship, and I was thinking, God, how do you want this to... What are some of the things you want to draw out this morning? The greatest miracles, the time of God rescuing, the time of Jesus stepping in to the situation is often at the point when you don't have enough. It's often at the point when you think, I don't know how to do this. It's often at the point when you think, Jesus, I've got, this is what I've got. I can't. Have you seen that? Have you seen how hard it is for me at home at the moment? Have you seen how hard it is for me at work at the moment? Have you seen how hard it is for me just to try and cope in this situation? And there's so much stuff around. Have you seen how hard it is just trying to raise my kids, my family? Jesus, I don't have enough. That's the point. We're never meant to have enough. When we feel we can do it, when we feel we've arrived, when we feel we've got the resilience or we feel we've got the expertise or a church feels that, we're totally missing the point. Because it really, really is all about Jesus and his life. He's the bread of life. He's the one that's got everything you need. He's the one that can help you in that difficult situation at work. He's the one that can help you speak to that neighbor who you're thinking, if only I could find a way in. They know what I believe, but they're not asking me, Lord, can I really make a difference? I haven't got enough answers or wisdom or pastor. If only I was like someone else who's got the gift of the gab, they always have an answer for my mouthy boss at work. If only I could be like them. And Jesus says, well, you're not, and I've put you there and not them, but I have enough. He has everything that you need. Mums, you've got enough. I felt this morning there are going to be some mums who just with everything that's going at different stages, some of you've got young kids, some of your kids are older, they're not at home, but you're feeling it in your heart this morning. I don't know what it is, some of you, it is just the fear of how do I raise my kids in a world which is as broken as this. I'm going to read something in a minute that will answer that. Others of you are just thinking, have I done a good job? Can I do it? Have I got enough? Jesus wants you to know, mum, he's got enough. It was his idea, his life, that put new life inside of you and brought it to birth. It's a gift from him, and he didn't make a mistake, and neither did you. He will come to you, and he will give you everything you need. Guys at work, stop thinking you've got enough. There's not enough guys... A man problem now. I know this is stereotypes, but get over it. And we think what it means to be a man is to show we've got enough. What it means to be a man is to have the answers. What it means to be a man is to, is to lead and to show we know what to do. And if we don't, well, we'll just go very, very quiet and just go inward or something. Now, I'm doing stereotypes here, but you, you get the point. What this world needs to see is more vulnerability and more dependence on Jesus. And this is a place where you can do that. It might not be great in the middle of a difficult budget meeting at work to say, well, I don't know how these next 12 months are going to work out with our targets. I'll ask Jesus. That might not work at work sometimes. I get that. But you can do it here. You can do it at home. But so often we don't. We kind of think the whole idea is, is to show we've got enough. Show we've got answers. It isn't. Jesus is training the disciples. I've got to land this. Jesus is training the disciples to say, you don't have enough but I do feed the crowds. 
They're broken. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They've got no answers. They're living in fear. Everything the world has given them is running out and leaving them empty, beaten up, hung over and worthless and feeling they're not worth anything. So they just chase something else. Feed the crowds, Peter, Mark, John, Andrew. And they did. And they had enough. Jesus has got enough. Do you remember I said... and take note of the green grass and that Jesus had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. One of the other titles of Jesus is the good shepherd. David in the Old Testament was a king, but before he was a king, he was a shepherd, the shepherd king. And God said to him, there'll be one of your descendants who will come and be like you. Not only is Jesus the bread of life, Not only does he have enough, not only is he the one who is sent from God and will feed us in the wilderness, but he's the shepherd king. And some commentators believe that in Mark referencing this, Mark especially because the others don't, and saying that he had compassion because the crowds were like a sheep without a shepherd, and then the green grass, he's referencing Psalm 23. This is the king we follow. This is the shepherd who has enough. This is the Jesus that will help you raise your children, help you live in your office, help you reach out to people around you and lead you as a church. And when there are Herods or the equivalent of them who are saying, shut up, don't live like that, or there's an even bigger oppressive uh, cloud of death because of how broken our world is and how broken people who are doing things in the name of certain faiths. When we can fear, when we can feel we haven't got enough, when we can worry what's really going on, Jesus is the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Where were they? On green grass. He leads me beside quiet waters. Where were they? By the lake of Galilee. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. They're just walking through that valley. Herod had just had John the Baptist killed. Shadow of death, traditional translations say. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Shepherd uses those to protect the sheep and to lead the way. You prepare a table before me. (laughs) Wow. Five loaves and two fish. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Twelve baskets left. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's stand. Worship band, if you want to come up, I'm going to pray for a moment, but if the worship team want to come up, let's just pray. Just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit now before we sing. Come, let's close our eyes. Let's reach out to God now. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that by your spirit, the good shepherd is here. And you see every heart. You see every thought. You know us, Lord. You know sometimes when we think we've got enough and then we muck up. You know others of us who really inside we're thinking, I have got enough and I need to know Jesus right now and I need to know his provision. Holy Spirit, come now. And you are making this personal, but make it really, really personal to us. I pray for every one of us. We'd know you helping us, comforting us, 
Lord, these next kind of 15, 20 minutes or so, we would know what it's like to be by green pastures and still waters. You restoring our soul. Lord, several of us here, we need our souls restoring. Come, Holy Spirit. Others as Lord, we need faith for our situation at work or our situation at home. If you're telling us to feed them, Lord, we need some faith. We need you to help us. Holy Spirit, please. Thank you that you're resting on numbers of us now. We might, let's just keep our eyes closed for a moment. In a moment, the band will lead us. We may pray for another later, but right now, I just God wants you. doesn't need ministry from the front. Numbers of you are knowing the presence of God, knowing him speaking to you. Others of you, I'd like you to do, with your eyes closed still, thank Jesus he's the good shepherd. Thank him he's got enough. Thank him his comfort is enough. You might not be feeling that comfort right now, but be thanking him that he is the good shepherd. He has compassion for you. And then as you've thanked him, if there's a specific situation that you need to know his strength in, or a situation which is pretty hard right now, ask him about that too. Thank him first, and then say, Lord, what, but what about this? I need to know your leadership here. I need to know you're the good shepherd here. Or I haven't got enough for this, Jesus. I haven't got enough. I've run out. I've tried to do it in my own strength, and I've run out. Jesus, I need you. Some of you need to say sorry, probably, for trying to do it in your own strength. He's got grace for that. It's an easy thing to do.